Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Several years ago, there was a tweet that went viral which said that of Jesus' many miracles, perhaps his greatest was having 12 close friends in his 30s. As people say, it's funny because it's true. When my guest today came face to face with the anemic state of his own friendships, he set out to try to do the miraculous himself and make friends in middle age. His name is Billy Baker, and he's a journalist and the author of We Need to Hang Out, a memoir of making friends. Billy and I began our conversation with the problem of male loneliness in the modern age and how it befell him in his own life. We then discuss how men and women do friendships differently, the way men do theirs shoulder to shoulder, what this means for what male friendships need to be built around, and why they require what Billy calls velvet hooks. Billy then shares how he started his project, which experimented with different ways to recover and create connections by rekindling his old friendships, but why that ultimately didn't scratch the friendship itch for him. Billy then describes what did, a kind of casual fraternity for middle-aged men that he started, and how it was inspired by something called the Men's Shed Movement in Australia, and its philosophy that men need somewhere to go, something to do, and someone to talk to. We end our conversation with Billy's takeaways for making friends in adulthood, including the need for embracing intentionality and social risk. After the show's over, check out our show notes at AOA all right billy baker welcome to the show hey thanks for having me so you got a book out we need a hangout and memoir of making friends and this is all about you trying to make friends as a 40 year old middle-aged man so what what began your quest to make friends as a middle-aged man well, I got conned by an editor with uh, one of the oldest lies in journalism, which is we have a story we think you'd be perfect for. So this came from a guy at the Boston Globe magazine, and I, uh, I marched down to his office, sat down, told him to lay it on me, and he said, we want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends. And, you know, I, I had that, you know, brief existential crisis sitting there as he's rattling off all these dire health consequences of of having a poor social life, defining what we've come to understand is really a loneliness epidemic in America. And while all this is going on, all I'm doing in my head is trying to get out of this story because this was not, I mean, this is not something I wanted to think about or think I was a part of. So I, uh, the first thing I did was, you know, on the walk back to my desk, just kind of go through the the names in my head of those guys, I think of as my best friends, my lifelong friends. And it, it was, uh, it was a sad inventory and in that, you know, immediately it was like, God, I haven't seen that guy in a, in a couple months. And it's been years since I've seen him. And, and, you know, by the time I made the short walk back to my desk, sat down and, and thought it through, I realized, you know what? I really was perfect for this story because, not because I was I was unique in any way, but because I was painfully typical. And you know, I, I, as I'd come to learn from this pitch I just sat through, like being a typical guy right now is someone who's suffering from high loneliness and someone who's susceptible to basically every health consequence you don't want, all because of uh, a lack of friends in your life. Well, let's talk about that. So, do we have any statistics on the state of American male friendship in particular? Well, so the the general thought is that men are suffering more than women, but it is not an exclusive. But the, the data is that the average American, man and woman, which there's this thing called the UCLA loneliness scale. You just answer a few questions and it gives you a rating. 
that rating for the average American is what they consider to be high loneliness. And when I took the the UCLA loneliness scale, I, I scored dead average. So the stats are, I mean, they're all over the place. Some of them are a bit uh, apocryphal, but the data is there. The average person, particularly the average male, is suffering from loneliness. Even in loneliness is a perception. It's this idea where you're the social connections you desire don't meet the ones you actually have. So, you know, you can be lonely in a crowd. You can have lots of friends that feel lonely. You can be, you know, completely isolated and feel perfectly content. But the average person is not feeling like their social needs are being met. And it's only getting worse and worse as the years go by. Right now, the each generation of Americans is measurably lonelier than the ones that have come before. And our loneliest generation in American history is our youngest. Okay, so people are lonelier than they were before. What are the you mentioned there's there's health consequences to this. What are some of the dire health consequences of loneliness? I mean, it's everything. It's truly everything you don't want to get. Heart disease, cancer, dying, everything is magnified by being measurably lonely or even living alone. You know, your chances of dying go up dramatically if you don't have a strong social circle. You know, every time I say these things, they seem like I'm laying it on pretty thick, but the the data is there. It's It's healthier to eat Twinkies with your friends than to eat broccoli alone. Like it, it really, and, and if you had told me that, you know, it's that simple, if you don't want to see the doctor, see your friends, I wouldn't have believed you, but I've delved into this science and every, every, you know, obesity, diabetes, like all these things that you, you, it, it seems like impossible that your friendship circle could affect these things, but the, the, the data is there. It really does. And a lot of those things you mentioned, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, et cetera, like that hits men a lot more than women. It does. And also what hits men a lot more are these things that uh, are referred to as deaths of despair, alcoholism, drug abuse, suicide, deep depression. See, these are, I mean, the suicide rate for men is appalling. And a lot of it is attributed to this fact that, you know, men don't have the social circles that they need. I mean, you know, every time some some idiot shoots up a school or whatever it is, like they they dig into this person's life and guess what? They're a loner, you know? So let's talk about you. So when your editor asked you this article, you were like initially like, that's not me. I'm not lonely. But then you did that walk back and went through. You're like, I haven't really, I don't even have any friends. I haven't seen my friends in a couple months or years. I mean, how did you end up Sort of. I mean, I wouldn't say you're. You don't want to call yourself friendless, but you're not hanging out with your friends as often as you like at age forty. How'd that happen? Yeah, I think it happened without even noticing. You know, I, w- I was checking off a lot of boxes. You know, I was doing the the things uh, uh, that seemed like I should, you know, was supposed to be doing. I had a good job. I had uh, a wife and kids, and you know, I was taking care of getting the groceries at the end of the day. But I, I think what I was guilty of was I just wasn't budgeting any time in the daily calendar for friendship. And I think I, I had moved friendship into this category of things I do when the important stuff was over. And it's never really over. And I think I was also guilty of putting a lot of pressure on my wife to be the the keeper of the social calendar. You know, I'd be like, when are we getting together with so-and-so? Why aren't we doing this? You know, when can we hammer that into the calendar? And and another thing I think I was I was counting on was that I would make a lot of 
you know, good connections through my children. You know, when I look back at my childhood and picture my parents hanging out with their friends, they were the parents of the kids I hung out with, you know, and and they'd meet each other on the sidelines or wherever it might happen. And that wasn't happening for me as well. So I think I was the saddest part of my whole story was that I was treating it as like normal. Like, oh, this is, just, this is just what happens in middle age. You know, your your friendships disappear and then, you know, we'll all reconnect on the golf course. No, yeah, I think that happens just for a lot of guys. I think particularly men, you get sort of lazy with relationships. You just, you, you, when you were, we've had a, another a guy, a psychologist on the podcast talking about this. So the problem with men is, and this happens with boys and girls in the beginning, early on in your life, you have these systems set in place for yourself where you can make friends. There's school, there's sports, there's activities. And then you get into adulthood and you really don't have that anymore. It's like, it's finally up to you. Women tend to, you know, take on that, that mantle and start, you know, being proactive about making friendships. Guys tend to still rely on structures outside of themselves to make friends. So they rely on work for friends. They rely on sports, their kids' sports to make friends with the sports dads, or they rely on their wife to like manage the social calendar. And that doesn't get you very far. Yeah. And so there's a fundamental difference in the way that men and women interact. And so women talk face to face and men talk shoulder to shoulder. We know this from studies where sociologists creep around and take photos of people interacting and then they analyze them for patterns. And with with men, it's just a very clear picture. And it is two men standing shoulder to shoulder, side by side. And so knowing that, you also can understand why your strongest connections are from things like activities. You know, we know that men are measurably make their strongest friendships through school, through sports, through military service, through things like that. And then when you get in the middle years of life, those things are are largely gone. And with it, you're losing these chances to sit shoulder to shoulder. And, and when I first learned this, it, it really, it made me understand why I would never get super psyched when someone would say, oh, we should get together for coffee or something like that. Or, or when, you know, my wife would get off the phone from having a long chat with a friend and say, oh, why don't you call so-and-so? And it's like, I don't, that just doesn't feel like how we connect. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but every time I talk to one of my friends on the phone, it feels like 90 seconds later, someone's saying, all right. Good talk. I'll catch up with you later, you know, and it and it disappears. And and there there's a study showing that that men hate the phone and women can keep strong connections that way. But so what goes missing in these vital years in the middle of life are these shoulder-to-shoulder opportunities. And so when I set out on this journey to write this book, you know, I, I wrote an article initially about this loneliness epidemic and kind of raised my hand and admitted that I was a card-carrying member of it. That article went crazy viral. It went, it, it was, it became for, for a period, the most popular article the Boston Globe had ever published. And the responses from men were not questioning me about the dire consequences. They weren't asking for any more evidence of the cancer or that they had the cancer. The question was, what's the cure? And so the book was me trying to figure that out. Like on the surface, the cure for loneliness is friendship, but actually making it work when you get to this point in life is wildly tricky. And so what I, what I had to do was ultimately figure out, I use the phrase velvet hooks. I had to find these velvet hooks that were these soft connectors 
a way to be friends with my friends, something that we could do, some activity that was just gentle enough to not be another ironclad commitment on the schedule, but just fun enough to actually make us follow through and, you know, put something on the calendar, make it happen. And we, we know what these things are, right? These are, these are your whatever fantasy football leagues, your weekly sports night, the poker night, the book clubs, whatever they might be. I mean, you know, I, I've never been to a book club. They're very popular with women. Every woman I talk to always says the same thing, which is, you know, we almost never discuss the book, right? It's this velvet hook just to get them together. So for guys, it was about, for me, trying to find these velvet hooks that would get us into that shoulder to shoulder position. And that's when often like the magic happens, right? Like it's, you know, I, I think as I've been doing these rounds talking about the book, I think a lot of people think that I'm pushing for this idea that men need to get together and have real vulnerable conversations about their feelings. I think what men need to do is get together. And then if it gets a little deeper through these moments, then that's great. That's the magic. But for the most part, you know, when I get together with my friends, I mean, we act like juveniles. We screw around. Nothing serious comes up. I come home and my wife says, oh, how's so-and-so's mother doing? And I'm like, I don't know. It <laughs> didn't, didn't mention it, right? You know, but there's something about simply getting together that makes me a better better in all my, you know, my other jobs as a dad, as a husband, as an employee. Well, yeah, and to this idea that when people talk about friendships, we often put the platonic ideal of a friendship or relationship as what a woman would want, right? So you have to like, right. if you're going to have a friendship, you have to like bear your souls to each other. You got to like talk, have these deep conversations. And for guys, that's that's typically not, like you said, it's shoulder to shoulder. Usually guys are just doing stuff right. together. And for some reason we say, well, that's, that's not good. And so guys are like, well, if I can't have these deep heart to heart conversations, because that's it's not, if that's the ideal, you know, and I, I can't make that happen for me. I might as well not even try to have friends. I might, I might as just, it's no point if I can't, but I think that's wrong head. I think you should be like, okay, generally men and women are different, different. They have different ways of how they have relationships and it's okay for guys just to get together. Like you said, just to hang out, just do stuff together. It could just be completely, I mean, like women would look at it and be like, well, nothing really happened there. Like there's no connection, right. but for guys, like a lot of connection happened. And I think a, guys that connect a ton through ball busting, you know, right. I think that women have a real, like my wife sometimes is like appalled at the stuff, you know, my friends and I will say to each other, but it's like, that's how we share our love. You know, I'm not going to say, I love you. I'm going to say, I hate you. I'm going to pick you apart. Right. Like I say this to my kids all the time. I, I know how I look good because my friends will tell me how terrible I look. Right. You know, like I'll walk in wearing a new shirt everyone has a comment, right? And it's like, yeah, they like the shirt. That's their way. But I think women don't communicate in those ways. Right. I call that sort of like, you know, ball busting, aggressive nurturing. It's aggressive nurturing. Aggressive nurturing. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. And now back to the show. All right. So you, you wrote this article. People are like, what do I do about it? So you started figuring out things to do. And one thing you, the first thing you did, you tried to reactivate friendships you had when you were in high school, a young man, college age. And you, you begin by going reaching out to an old friend of yours you had since you were a kid named Rory. Let's talk about Rory. Like, When did you realize that you had completely drifted apart from this guy that had been a big part of your life? Yeah, it was the moment I published this article. I had mentioned Rory and another buddy named Mark in the article. And when it came out, I emailed them the link and Rory said, oh, that's going to make what I'm about to tell you even worse, which is that I moved to Vienna and uh, I've got to tell you. And I mean, 
this was the guy I would have considered my best friend in the world. And it, it, it happens like so quickly without either of us noticing. And so I, I, I hopped on a plane, flew over to Vienna and it was like, I, I we, we got to save this thing. And it, it was, it, and we did. And Rory and I are close again. And the beginning of this journey in general was just that me trying to get the bands back together to kind of, repair or strengthen friendships from the past and that was great but it it kind of hit a wall in a in a strange way where i i still didn't have you know so i took a a leave from the globe to write this book i'm sitting in a room i'm feeling i'm doing the loneliest thing i know of which is writing staring at a screen and i still didn't have an answer to the question of do I have anyone to hang out with on a Wednesday night? Like it, it was great to reconnect with Rory. It was great to fly to Vienna and, you know, uh, professor, uh, you know, best friendship forever. But I, I, I was, I was still lacking friendship in my daily life. And by lacking that I was lacking all the health benefits that come with it. And so I did, I set out to do something that is just remarkably uncool, which is I set out to make new friends it's it's awkward it it it's needy like you can smell it on someone when they're coming on a little strong right and uh and it, i was inspired in a way by this thing i heard mindy kaling say on her tv show which was that a best friend is not a person it's a tear and so i started thinking about it where you know if you ask men to name their best friends we know from surveys that they'll say someone from childhood or high school or maybe college but there's a cutoff after a certain point and i think the idea for men is that you have to go way back with somebody for for them to to really be you know a meaningful connection but the truth was i needed meaningful connection in my day to day so what i did was set out to try and make new best friends didn't feel like you know now that i'm absorbing this this throwaway line Minnie Kaling it's not a, on a sitcom you know now that I'm I, I'm operating on this idea that adding new best friends is not betraying my best friends of the past but instead sort of you know putting more people on this pedestal I set out to connect with guys that I had for lack of a better word felt a spark with and you know the, these were guys I'd met them however but you know they you, you know sometimes you meet someone you're like you know what I, I feel like I connected with that person I could be I could be friends with them and spark is is usually reserved for romantic relationships but you know I, I think it happens in in friendship in general so I you know what I ultimately did was try and start a you know a a middle-aged dad fraternity that hung out on Wednesday nights and it had some ups and downs, but I will say, you know, it's all chronicled in the book, much of it's dumpster fire, but now years later, I can say I added four new best friends to my life. And those are the best friends that are a part of my daily life. And that's where I'm getting the benefits from all of this. All right. So let's talk about that middle-aged men's fraternity you started because you reached this point where you realize that friendship in adulthood is going to take intentional effort. Like a natural spark could happen, but then you'd have to be proactive to, to fan that flame of friendship. And something else you realized along the way is that friendships aren't that dissimilar from romantic relationships. So you try different things to make connections with friends. And the thing that really worked out, this men's fraternity was the big idea that got you to the point where you're hanging out with friends on a regular basis. So what you did, you invited a bunch of guys you felt a spark with. These were acquaintances from different parts of your life, work, uh, I think a CrossFit gym. 
that you wanted to get to know them better. And the inspiration for this idea was this thing that happened in Australia called Men's Shed. For those who aren't familiar with that, what is the Men's Shed movement? A Men's Shed is exactly what it sounds like. So it started in Australia when a guy named Dick McGowan was at a senior center and he threw a fit. And his fit was basically that all the activities at the senior center were geared towards women, you know, the the knitting and the bingo and all these things. And it was like, this isn't what guys want. So he he says, you know, the shed out back that nobody uses, I'm cleaning out that shed. And that's for the guys. That's going to be the men's shed. That's where the guys are going to go hang out. And so these old retired guys in Australia start hanging out in the shed. They love it. They get a little bit of media attention in a newsletter for a bank. Somehow or another, this thing goes viral in, uh, in the pre-viral days. And it leads to, in the blink of an eye, a thousand of these men's sheds opening up in Australia. They're everywhere. And what they are is there's no like central theme or, or thesis behind them. It's just a place for men to get together. And the, Dick McGowan had a saying that men need somewhere to go, something to do, and someone to talk to. And that's what the men's sheds are. Some of them take on a, you know, they might become like a woodworking shed or a, we, we fix motorcycles at this one. But in general, they're open to anyone. They're also open to women, but they're largely used by men. And the health data on the men who go to these things is that they seem to live longer, healthier, happier lives simply from hanging out with some other guys. And that's, you know, as opposed to, you know, right now my dad is is recently retired and, I, you know, I'm worried about him sitting at home and watching too much Law & Order every day. And, and, I, and I wonder if having a place like that could change his life. But so the men's shed was an inspiration. Also an inspiration for me was this this thing I heard an older guy in my my town say one day, which was, he was talking about something. He said, I can't go to that. I have Wednesday night. And I was like, what's Wednesday night? Don't we all have Wednesday night? And, and he said, no, no, it's just like basically this idea, this promise I made with a bunch of buddies years ago that on Wednesday nights, if we're all around, we'll get together and do something, anything. We just need to just need to be together. And when I had heard that, it was before I you know, wrote this article and took on this book. I filed it away like, oh, maybe, you know, someday I might need something like that getting this assignment made me realize I needed it immediately. So I, I basically combined the men's shed idea with the Wednesday night idea and opened a Wednesday night men's shed in a barn in my community. And it's been a blast. Like it, it's, you know, it, it had some ups and downs in that, like we got together the first night. I told the spiel of, you know, what I was hoping to do. Everyone had a laugh at my expense. We had a couple of beers. It was great. Second night, everyone comes back and it's like, all right, wait, what are we going to do? We're just going to sit around here and talk about our feelings like this isn't us. And quickly, we we needed to find, you know, these activities, these things to do. And those activities are, are soft. They're simple. You know, we, we, we light a big bonfire or we, you know, help the guy build a BMX track in his backyard. Or we lately, we, we've been playing pickleball, which is like, uh, you know, if ping pong and tennis had a baby. And, uh, you know, it's, it's things like this that, you know, go back to this Dick McGowan guy, this Australian guy that threw a fit and said, men, men need somewhere to go, something to do and someone to talk to. Like by accomplishing those three things, I think I've changed my life and I've changed the lives of the, the men that are coming to this little Wednesday night 
mentioned. Yeah. So I've got similar things going on in my life with my, so there's like two groups of friends I've got. So I've got, I, we, I, I belong to a book club, but we've been going okay. through uh, like the great books of the Western canon. So we started like at the Iliad. We were finally up to like Cervantes, Don Quixote right now, but we get together like we, but it's like a, a, a regular thing. It's like the, the third Wednesday of every month we get together okay. at some guy's place to discuss. And the thing is like you end up sort of discussing the book, but then you just start crap about other stuff, just shooting the breeze about whatever. Um, and then the other one is I've got a group of friends where every other Thursday or Friday, it's, things kind of been kind of screwy with, with COVID, uh, right. but it's like the sauna session, just getting a sauna and we just talk, I mean, about nothing really, or just sit there and just uh, be miserable in the heat and then jump in the pool and cool off and get back <laughs> in. And it's great. We love it. It, 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 it's that simple, isn't it? Like, I mean, a, a lot of times I'll come home from one of these Wednesday night things and it's like, I, on paper, I have nothing to show for it, you know, <laughs> but it's like, I, I wake up the next day in a better mood. You know, I, there, there's something, something's been scratched that, that wasn't getting scratched before. And, uh, it, it really is that simple. And, and I'm, I'm appalled that it, it, it turned out, the answer turned out to be something that simple. Uh, so you mean in the book, there were some ups and downs with this Wednesday night thing. At first it started off strong. Everyone was on board, but then you said it kind of fizzled out for a while. And we've had those moments too with, you know, various friends groups we've, I've belonged to things go, are going great, but they kind of fizzle out. What, what happened with you? Like what, what caused it to fizzle out? Uh, I think, so I think initially my biggest concern was that it would seem like it was my thing. You know, I wanted it to be our thing, but it, it I didn't want to have to be the person that sent the text every Wednesday saying, you know, we're doing this. I didn't want to have to be the cheerleader every time. But uh, I realized it, it was, you know, if I didn't do that, it wasn't going to happen. No one else wanted to take the reins. And then I think the biggest thing we suffered from was a lack of purpose in a way, you know, like uh, we were back to that, that almost like face to face conversation, which is not what men are cut out for, not what any of us were looking for. So it was a matter of finding activities, finding these velvet hooks, these simple things that we could do to, to connect. And, um, and, and then it picked up, you know, and then COVID arrived and, and that was interesting because I think, uh, that was a moment for me. I don't know if you felt like this happened as, to you as well, but all of a sudden it felt like every tribe I'd ever been a part of, every squad kind of circled the wagons. You know, it, it was the Zoom chats with the college buddies you haven't talked to in forever or the group texts or whatever it might be. And there was something about COVID arriving that really re-strengthened the Wednesday night crew where we realized, okay, we do need... We, we do need something here. And, and, you know, there's this grand evolutionary question of like, why do we need friends? Right. And in the, the best guess is that we, we have friends around for when, when it hits the fan, you know, like, uh, we, we feel like we, we, we need someone that will have our back when it gets real. And COVID was the first time in my life that it got real for everyone. And, um, I think the Wednesday night group really found its footing finally, by that feeling like we all needed a a a squad to have our back someone to close by that could come in to assist us how did you guys adapt was it did you guys do a zoom or did you just do outdoor stuff 
Like what did we you- did outdoor stuff. It yeah. turned out, and again, this is so painfully simple. I, I hate it. Took a while to get here, but like a fire was the the one thing we could do. We could light a fire, you know, on these cold nights, get together safely outside. And there's something about sitting around a fire with guys that feels very primitive and nurturing. Something simple is being triggered in your soul. And that for a while, you know, I mean, we, I'm in New England, the winters here are miserable. And this past winter, this, this COVID winter, I mean, we lit some fires that were obnoxiously large. I mean, it really became a, a, a juvenile attempt to get the cops called on us for, uh, for a backyard fire. But you know what? I mean, it, it was, I don't know that these things, these simple moments of magic are, are, what has really, you know, changed my life for the better. This, you know, having to take on this assignment and then take on this book was like the best gift gift I've ever given myself. And it was a gift of regular friendship. And it's the simplest things in the simplest ways. It's gathering around a fire. It's having a beer with a friend. It's farting around. It's ball busting. And at the end of the day, like, I I feel better. You know, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't look inside of my body and measure, you know, the, 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 the effect it's having, but I have to believe in, in the health data that says I'm a happier, healthier person. And I'm going to reap the benefits of this for years to come. If I simply keep these friendships up. You didn't talk about this in your book. I don't, and I don't think it came up, but one issue I've seen with guys who's like, you know, I want to make friends, but like my wife gives me a hard time. Anytime I try to go out and hang out with my, my dude friends, did, did you encounter that at all with with guys you're trying to get to hang out with you? Well, I, I th- so here's the way I think that happens. I think that when you're you're pairing up, you know, you're getting to that point where you're getting serious with someone. Every guy gets that talk where it's like, all right, you need to stop spending so much time with the boys and start spending more time with me. But then I think a reverse happens after you've been together for a while, where the the woman's like, you need to get out of the house, you know, like you 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 need to call so and so. So I do think there's this sort of pageant performance of like oh if i'm out with the guys and i then i oh you know i'm on the list i better show up with flowers and chocolates or something because i i I was stayed out late with the fellas but it for me at least in my relationship that's not the case it's um my wife is very supportive of this and if anything this trip i've been on has influenced her in in a very positive way she's much more deliberate in her friendships much more protective of her time to do those things but I, I do know, I mean, every relationship is different. And I do I do hear from some of the guys that like, you know, they, they're in the doghouse for hanging out too much with the boys and, and they're going to have to skip this one. Well, the other problem too you see married guys run into is if they're going to make a friend, they think, well, I got it. It's got to be a couple friend. Like my wife, like, so the friend, like the, the dude friend I make friends with, like my wife's got to be friends with that guy's wife. And often that doesn't sink. Usually you love the dudes, you know, the dude, the dude's awesome, but like your wives don't get along with each other. And you're like, well, we can't, well, don't do that. Just, it's okay if you have your own friends. They don't have to be couple friends. I mean, it's, it's a, I feel like that stuff, it's a, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Like it, uh, the, I don't know if you saw John Mulaney when he hosted Saturday Night Live not too long ago, his whole opening monologue was about how men have no friends. He stole my bit, basically. You know? But he says, uh, he has this great joke. He says that dads don't have friends. Uh, moms have friends, and those friends have husbands. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
and and there's some truth to that you know i mean they're they're especially i think you know when when women are thinking of of get togethers it's in a in a couple sense at least in my relationship my wife's like oh if we're gonna go to dinner like let's have it be with a couple that we both like and not just one of your friends and his wife that i don't know or the or the reverse you know one of her friends and the husband i'm not crazy about i mean those couple i don't know if you have them in your life i mean when you do have those couples where you are great friends with both of them that's the best you know it's awesome yeah it's great you know if if your kids kids are great friends but like i think uh, you know my problem was I was relying on that is basically my social life. Like the, those few and far between dinners, get togethers, weekends away with those other couples we had that sort of great connection with, but you know, you need more, you need it uh, on the day to day. You need, you just need to hang out. You know I mean? Right now my, uh, my kids are just finishing up their, their final bits of zoom school and then they start full-time in person in in a week and i mean they're so looking forward to just having daily friendship you know like and not having it be something where they need to have a scheduled event you know some play date organized by the parents whatever it might be they just need that like day-to-day you know broing out with their buddies to 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 scratch something they're clearly not getting so what are the big action point takeaways that you from your experience with trying to make friends that you know as a middle-aged dude what what works what doesn't work I mean yeah you have to be intentional you have to find activities you know you need to, it needs to be activity based that that's the glue for guys and I think that you, as part of being intentional you need to be a little bit vulnerable like it's it's an awkward situation to put yourself in to try and make friends or try and make a friendship work and i think guys are are you know either naturally or raised to be uncomfortable being vulnerable but i will say this anytime i made myself vulnerable it was rewarded you know it's what led to the the special moments the special connections so it, it's a matter of you know finding that activity you may already have them if you don't have friends which i, I i've been hearing from a lot of people that it just fundamentally like i don't have friends i'm a, i'm a lonely person for that reason i mean I, I was lucky to be someone who had friends and just wasn't being friends with them but if you are lonely you have to look first probably at the activity there's probably something you like so go do that and connect with people who share that that interest but it's just about making effort you know i mean if i could give anyone some homework at the end of this podcast it's like you know text your buddies you know think close your eyes and think about that person you miss that you haven't connected with that that you you would love to spend some time with or reach out and say you know i just heard this idiot babbling on a podcast about friendship made me think of you we we need to hang out and, and, and go from there but it takes you know more than just saying that it takes, we need is saying we need to hang out on this day doing this thing. Can you be there? And then sticking with it. So maybe instead of saying vulnerability, we can re rebrand it as social risk. You're taking a social risk. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, the, of the, I, I tried a lot of things that were, I mean, I tried to reunite my high school class. I had this thought experiment where I was like, what was the best day I remember from high school? And it was senior skip day when, you know, everyone kind of ditched school at the same time. We all, you know, uh, felt like we were these real rebels. And so I tried to bring it back. I was like, all right, on a Friday, let's all gather in this field we used to go to on uh, when we skip out of school and we'll play kickball and drink some beers but the point is you got to skip we're going to do it on a weekday and so many people came but 
as I was sitting in that beach chair, you know, when I got there early, you know, sitting in a chair a lot uh, in this field, fingers crossed that anyone was going to show up. That was as vulnerable as I've been in years. You know, I was scared. I was back in, in high school again. And you know what? Let, that vulnerability was rewarded. And so, yeah, the uh, what was the phrase you just used? Social risk. Social risk. I took a social risk and I was rewarded. Yeah. So there is no manliness. Yeah, there's no manliness without risk. Got to have risk. I love it. Well, love it. Well, Billy, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Uh, so I'm a reporter at the Boston Globe, you know, constantly doing that. But the uh, the book is called We Need to Hang Out. It's a hopefully a fun adventure with some takeaways. Uh, the best thing I hear from people is that they they find it relatable. You know, that I'm uh, I'm in many ways just an everyman with everyman problems. And I found some everyman solutions. There you go. Billy Baker, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My guest today was Billy Baker. He's the author of the book, We Need to Hang Out. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Make sure to check out our show notes at aom.is slash makefriends, where you find links to resources, where you can delve deeper in this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS to check out for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think will get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay. Remind you not only to listen to the podcast, but put what you've heard into action. 